episode 267 of Global From Asia. My uncle Gary and I talk about the gutting of the blue-collar American. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight-up, actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Hope everybody's having an amazing August. It's been a wild summer, exactly a year since I moved to Thailand, and I think I've said it on previous shows, seems like maybe a, well, I don't want to say I had a feeling, but I could feel stuff like this building up, and Hong Kong airports, closure, and and a lot of insanity happening. The tariffs, I've been talking to Bloomberg quite a bit, uh, Shelley there, a reporter in Hong Kong, has been fascinated by my stories and she also brought up on a conversation about uh, how my family back home is uh, is responding to this and you know she's followed some of the progress we've been talking a few times over the last couple of months and she said that uh, you know she was always intrigued because I, I think a lot of my family didn't really like that I moved to China and um, today I bring on my uncle Gary. I've not had a family member. Uh, it's full disclosure, family member, but he's a he's a well-read person, and he's got amazing perspectives. And I thought the listeners today might enjoy this perspective. Might not be a perspective everybody here might agree with, but he actually supports the tariffs, and he supports you know what some of the policies have been happening. He talks about how all this outsourcing he saw happening in the 90s to China, to India, you know, all these free trades opening up the borders and kind of really he feels, which I also have a feeling, you know, did kind of, uh, as I said in a preview of the show, gut American blue collar workers, you know, I mean, I was, I, I had a little sneak peek working in a machine shop in high school. That whole thing got shut down. I saw factories in my hometown getting shut down in Connecticut. Um, so Gary is a very opinionated person. He knows that himself. He says it in the show. And after the show, in the blah, blah, blah section, uh, we'll talk about some of my family discussions and some of my perspectives. You know, I grew up in a in a blue-collar Amer- American uh, society, and I know some listeners in this show gets published in WeChat and in China and other places around the world. Anybody in the world can listen to it. And I think it might be interesting to get this perspective i I think um we all got to keep open eyes open ears so let's let's listen to my uncle gary talking about the gutting of the american blue collar worker are you trying to get your money out of hong kong are these protests kind of driving you crazy and are you wondering what to do with your money you might want to look at goremit.hk a cross-border payment solution for your hong kong banking's needs If you need to get money into mainland China, into other parts of Southeast Asia, and more and more countries getting added to the list, our friends and sponsors and supporters here of the show, GoRemit.hk, have a cross-border payment solution that keeps very low fees, and they make a small cut of the FX exchange between countries, much more fair than traditional banking, as well as their support of the show. Check them out at www.GoRemit.hk. Tell them GFA sent you. All right, thank you, everybody, for t- tuning in. This is going to be a, a very fun one. It's my uncle Gary, Gary Garneau. Thank, thank you for coming on, Gary. Well, thanks, Mike, for asking me. You know me; I'm very opinionated. Yeah, uh, I, I want to give the. Yeah, go ahead. I want to give the. I'm sorry, Mike. What was that? 
Uh, no, no. So go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I, I want to give the public a basic rundown of who or what I am before I go into my tirades about politics and all this other stuff. Uh, first of all, I'm a blue-collar man. I don't have a college degree. I've worked as a as a machinist, tool die maker. I've worked as a, a welder in the shipyard for a couple of years. I uh, was a carpenter as a young man and even was a contractor for a few years. I uh, drove truck around the nation. I was OTR. So I've done a little of everything. Yeah. You know, I was in the military for six years, National Guard, engineering unit, which means we were construction workers in the Army. And I was involved in politics. I ran with an independent party in Connecticut. I'm going to tell the folks a few things here that probably won't believe me, but I did <laughs> run for U.S. Senate in uh, Connecticut. I was supposed to be on every ballot machine in the state. Notice I said supposed to. I also ran for Congress. I petitioned myself on the uh, for Congress, and I was on the ballot in District 1, 1992. I ran for U.S. Senate in 94 against Lieberman and Labriola. Okay. I ran against Barbara Kennelly, who was the incumbent. And uh, and uh, Steele's son uh, was was running as a, as a Republican, and then I ran for lieutenant governor in 1998. Uh, the party I was affiliated with was called the Concerned Citizens Party. We were basically a pro-life party. Now Connecticut is very pro-choice, one of the most pro-choice states in the union. Yeah, and it's odd because Connecticut is predominantly Catholic. And how can that be? Well, it took me years to figure it out, but it was education. Mm. A lot of uh, 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 kids, young people that go to Catholic school, go to college, and one of college people are very big supporters of legalized abortion. So I was involved in a pro-life movement for a couple of years with that political party. I also did some sidewalk counseling outside abortion clinics, and yeah. I was not the screamer. I was the talker. I remember. And uh, Yeah, you remember Mike driving by? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> See me standing there with... Virginia Interlegi and the other good people there. And uh, so I've, I've done a lot of weird things in my life, I guess. Sure. Uh, not weird, but different things. I shouldn't no, say I've weird. No, I always remember when I was a kid, you were always the one, like you said, you were on the ballot. You were in all these, you are always running for office. And you know, like you said, you were pro-life and you were at the uh, the clinics, you know, like you said, the sidewalk, sidewalk talking. And uh, yeah, I've always known you as the one in the family that would always, you know, not be afraid to speak your mind and uh, and uh, and take those chances. So. That got me in trouble more times than once. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, today I, there's so much we can talk about. Maybe we'll, maybe we can have you come back on the show again. But we were chatting. You know, I try to keep in touch with you and and family as much as I can. It's very hard being on the other side of the globe, like we said. But we had a great conversation about. You know, of course, we talked about tariffs and China and Amazon and. It's kind of like the world I live in in this show, and a lot of listeners are in this in this space. So I just thought it'd be really a uh, fascinating conversation. You know, you mentioned at the machine shop and tooling. I got I was working as a intern, if you remember, for a little while at. Uh, yeah, we worked in the same company for a while. You yeah. were amazing. You worked every department, and there was one boss there that everybody would go through him like a. He, he would go through people like like tissue paper. I mean, he, he was, uh, and yet he would bump into me in the hallway and say. Mike's the best guy I ever worked with, and he couldn't say enough about you, Mike. I don't know what you did. You got along with him because nobody else could, you know? Yeah. And you also worked every single department. Here you are, a high school kid, and you were designing our tooling. Yeah, I did the I CAD remember design. That. My, I remember. my boss would come in with you, and he would tell you what to do, and then you dropped him. As a matter of fact, one of the tools I made, you drew. And it was a pretty complicated <laughs> tool, too. <laughs> so you were amazing, you know? <laughs> oh, thanks, Gary. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I remember that place shut down, and then you mentioned I didn't know, but there was a clothing uh, textile factory upstairs that closed down. So that was in the yeah, nineties. That was in the nineties. Jobs. That was I'm sorry. Nin- yeah, no, that was in the that was in the nineties, and I think you mentioned that was also. The, I didn't really know. I just remember there was an engineer there that told me all the jobs would go to India and China. You know, he was saying already when in nineties uh, when I was there, he said people are emailing those CAD designs you're talking about. They're emailing it to India, and India's drawing them while we're sleeping, and then we're sending them back, you know, the next morning. So, um, you know, you said there was a lot of investments into China, you know, overseas in the 90s. That that was like when I was oh, too yeah, young I to was, remember. I was running for office, and I happened to read this article. I think it was in the National Geographic, and we had already poured $100 billion into China invested a hundred billion dollars in industrial jobs and investments and that was in 92 crazy so, so what does that mean invest i i I'm... well they build factories over there and you know they what it was i think it's my opinion is they're trying to break down the middle class in this country they're trying to you know what we had a lot of manufacturing in the u.s at one time i want to throw a statistic at the people out there i just, I just learned this statistic recently and it tells you everything about what's going on 1940, I'll do it the other way around. In 2013, between the ages of 18 and 37, 37% of Americans have degrees now, two-year or four-year degrees, 37%. Take a guess what the percentage was in 1945. (laughs) I might have guessed last time, but I'm thinking around... You were pretty close. I think you said 5%. Yeah, I was thinking 5%. It's 4%. Yeah. 4% of the people had college degrees in 1945. What does that tell you? That tells you everything. It tells you we're a totally different kind of economy. We're not an industrial-based economy anymore. We have some industry. I'm not saying we don't, none at all. But, and, you know, this college thing is a bad thing in a way because it divides the people. You have the college people and the non-college people. And then you got the tradesmen, you know. When you had a lot of manufacturing and a lot of unions, people, I remember as a kid, somebody that worked in a union shop made more money than a school teacher about 20 to 30 percent more Mm. i I admit teachers were underpaid but what i'm driving at is i'm trying to compare how things have changed so much you know and uh you know in a way it's good for the kids because they have to go out and learn a skill being a union factory worker you're kind of vulnerable because if you get laid off unless you learn some kind of skill course your skill is 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 that you go to work every day and you're and you're reliable that's a skill too people any good company will take a person like that and and, and train them i would if i had a company you want reliability and good attitude that's almost more important than anything else you know Mm. but uh so things have changed you know you know i always said this to a lot of my friends the west is constantly changing you know, there's all kinds of things that cause changes rippling effects in our society you know like super highways destroyed the cities, made the suburbs, which I don't like. Uh, air conditioning made Florida. Legalized <laughs> abortion has changed everything. The bankers made so much money with that. And the 1%, when they put the women to work and have the women, and now it takes two incomes to make a, to support a family when it took one before. You know how much money they made with that? Mm. Yeah. In 1973, a raised ranch went for 73, no, excuse me, went for $49,000. And the interest rate was 7%, the mortgage rate. 1983, 10 years later, that same place house was 130,000. The interest rate was 11%. Hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of money was made with legalizing abortion. I'm telling you, I, I, 
I don't know. How do you well, know? I mean, how? I guess I'm listeners are probably wondering how to make that connection of that one variable. I mean, there's so many variables, right? That there is a lot of variables. You're right about that too. Well, just like you hear people say, "Oh, ex- American labor is too expensive. We can't make anything in America anymore." What they don't tell you is American labor is much more productive. I'll give you an example. I was in a machine shop, and we had this part we used to make. It was donut-shaped and had all kind of cones on it. And it took a week to make this part. And you had to put it on five different machines. And each operation took about a day or a half a day to do. Well, they bought a tape machine. One of these modern tape machines automatically loads the tools and has a program computer. They could put that part on that one machine, clamp it down, push the button, come back. Five hours later, the part was complete. Now you take that same guy and you put him on three machines. Because he doesn't have to do too much. The machine does all the cutting. He just watches to see if the tool gets dull. If it gets dull, he stops the machine or the machine automatically. Now in modern ones, they probably shut off automatically when the tool gets dull. And they replay, go into the program and, you know, pull the tool out, change it, put it and get it running again. So they put them on three machines, right? Each machine replaced five workers. If you put them on three machines, you replace 15 workers. You could probably pay the guy $100 an hour. You'd still make money, you know? Mm. So you see, now, now the latest thing is they say, well, we can't bring industry back to America because we don't have the backup system that we had uh, 50, 40 years ago. Again, that's a lie. They were building factories in third world countries. You, mm. If you could build a factory in third world country, and you're telling me you can't build a factory in America because there's not enough uh, support. Was there, was there any support in China when they started putting the factories in there? Was there any support when they put a factory in Timbuktu? You know, it's, it's all propaganda and lies, you know what I mean, mm. in my opinion. You know? Anyway, I'm on my tangent, Mike. What yeah, do you no, want to say? Yeah, no, this is good. This is good. I mean, it's true. We want to get the the you know emotion here and the feeling. And, yeah, so, I mean, the point is, yeah, I mean, I felt I, – I could feel it in, in the 90s when I was, like you said, working at – at Baradon and there in a machine shop in Connecticut, it just felt like that's the future. That's even why I, I came out to China. I know my, my mom's never happy. I, I came here, but, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's also just the way we're, the world was going. I mean, I remember these free trade. I remember the, you know, the family discussions about NAFTA, the free trade, opening the borders. Uh, I don't really know much about, china tariffs before but i remember the discussions in the 80s and 90s when i was like when i was a kid and about uh you know the free trade with nafta and mexico and i don't know was china mm-hmm. involved in that i mean when now there's tariffs oh now, yeah they moved so. a lot of, they moved a lot of plants into china you know because they wanted the cheap labor but see china is different than america china puts china first you know they're concerned the china's doing the opposite of what we're doing in my opinion China wants to get – I read their 10-year plan. They had an ad in the paper. I should have cut it out talking about what they plan to do in China. They want to eliminate poverty. They want to increase uh, manufacturing. They want to, and they want to do something about green. Uh, I, I really think – I think if I was in China, first thing I'd want to do is get off that damn oil, get into mm-hmm. electric cars and get into hydrogen, geothermal hydrogen, you know, and, and get away from, from oil, you know, as much as you can, be oil independent. But our country is doing the opposite. We're trying to make poverty. We moved all the jobs out, the manufacturing jobs for the for the low working classes or the working classes, you know. Yes. And now these people don't have jobs or good paying jobs. And one of the big problems in America is going to be affordable housing. Yeah. You know, the rents are going. You're making seven dollars an hour, and the rent's eight hundred dollars a month. What do you do? You yeah. Know? I mean, I guess. <laughs> 
I just remember they always would the stories like when I was in school or you know college or what they're all just like you said about the the uh, education and go you know everybody has to go to college and I'll just get a job in the office working on Excel or something but they would just say that the jobs would just change it wouldn't be a you know you're talking about uh doing tooling and machining I think they're just trying to say it would be white collar jobs not blue collar jobs it'd be more which is stupidity because. You know, I, I, I respect a college degree, but it doesn't grow corn. It doesn't make tractors. It doesn't produce tooling. It doesn't uh, uh, make shoes and clothing. It doesn't uh, make airplanes and ships. I mean, you know, this thing about Google, what, $100 billion? It's ridiculous. They're not worth $100 billion. They're a paper tiger, for God's sake. They don't produce any product. Oh, they do provide a service. But, you know, I yeah. mean, that's my opinion, you know. What's your opinion? I mean, I th- I um I see the you know AI is coming even these you're talking about outsourced jobs even the outsourced workers I read an article you know actually we have people in the Philippines helping out with this show listening and there's a lot of outsourcing to Philippines or India for for like call centers but that's getting eliminated or reduced because AI is able to like listen to the question from the customer and and answer it automatically so I mean I do see the technology kind. You know, you were mentioning about the tape machine replacing the machining requirements. So, I mean, manual they are, machines. Yeah, they yeah. are. They are trying to. Re, you know, I think jobs will come back. Manufacturing might come back to the U.S. sooner, but it would be all done through just big machines, and they would just have a few few humans kind of like overseeing machines. And uh, well, even, at least we get the revenues from it. You know, Mike, if the factories came back, and let's say. Uh, uh, they wouldn't provide any jobs. We would provide us with revenue anyhow. You know, the revenue would be here, you know? Got it. You know, I think it's even face. – you're talking about these internet companies. I don't I don't know specifically ones. I think it's like Facebook is supporting uh, universal income so that they'll, uh, people just get paid paid to – paid a base income, right? I mean, how do you – well, think? something's going to have to be done because if they keep modernizing and modernizing and modernizing, that you won't need people after a while. Everything will be done by machines. Like take Amazon. Now, Amazon had an article in the paper, but I've been saying this for years, that they want to train their warehouse people themselves, which I respect, which is nice. They want to train their people to do uh, computer work, you know, or what they call coding. Which, And the thing is, you know what's going to happen with this guy, this Amazon guy, this Bezos. He's going to take and he's going to build huge warehouses in different sections of the country. There'll probably be a square mile and it'll be completely computerized. You'll punch your computer for your part. A computer automatically with the code numbers that you punch for the part will get the part and know where your location is and get the part out of the warehouse and load it on a truck. And there'll probably be a handful of people in there just running, keeping the machinery and his computers running. And this is this is sad, you know. Amazon's going to do a lot of damage to our society. I think we should boycott them, really, because a lot of stores are starting to close now. They're going to build an Amazon in our area. I live in Port St. Lucie, Florida, by the way, folks. Yeah. And uh, they're going to build one over here, and they're already talking about it. Some stores are going to close. They know it because if they're in your neighborhood, they'll probably deliver that afternoon. You'll probably call them up in the morning, and they'll probably deliver to your house that afternoon. And it's sad because it takes something away. You know, I even read that some of the stores in New York City are closing on Madison Avenue and Park Avenue. You know, those famous stores yeah. for the rich women. They go out and take a walk and go to all these beautiful stores. Some of them are closing up. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> it is sad. But then even Amazon does open these pop-up stores. There's a couple of these stores where they don't really have stock. You just order it at the store and then it'll deliver. Maybe those 
Park Avenue shops could adapt to it just being more of a showroom and not have an inventory and having it delivered. Well, that's, you just hit the nail on the head now. That's a point to make. A lot of stores don't have inventory. You come in. I went to a music store a couple of months ago. So I play fiddle. I'm an amateur fiddler, you know. And uh, she said, well, we don't have this. We can get it to you tomorrow. I want a violin string. You know, she had no selection of violin strings. She had nothing in the store practically. She sold lessons. You know, that's her room. She was making But if you wanted something, she ordered it and get it to you the next day. She didn't cover it for inventory. She didn't have it in stock. Got it. So yeah, I, I, I hate think that's what they have to do, store. though. Be, I'm sorry. I mean, sorry, they, have, they have to do that. I mean, just the financing, the cost of holding all this, you know, the cost. Well, your inventory taxes, yeah. Yeah, that's true. You got a but, point there. So what do you think of Walmart? I mean, I feel like people were saying this about Walmart 10, 20, 30 years ago. You know, I remember. True, true. Walmart now we're saying, changed a now lot we're of saying about Amazon instead of, is it just Amazon changing instead of Walmart? Well, at least a Walmart you could walk to. But the thing about Walmarts, I noticed they, they eliminate, probably one Walmart probably eliminates 20 stores. And yet you go in there and there's nobody in the store. You have to run around to find somebody if you need to need help. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> I, I guess these managers are, are cost effective, was, you know. I thought there was those greeters at the front. I don't know. It's they been... used to have them. Sometimes they have them. Sometimes they don't. But you can tell they're really cutting to the bone. I went to one Walmart and I went down one aisle. It was all the same item in one aisle. I couldn't believe it. They, were, <laughs> they would put all – I couldn't believe it. I says, What? It's like they don't care. They don't have to worry anymore. Go, look at their – go to their tool section where they sell tools. It's if you were a carpenter or a tradesman, you'd be in trouble. You know, they got enough select, you know, oh, hand no. tools and stuff. You know. Oh no. But uh, so it's you know it's it's just a, we're constantly changing society. You know, take yeah. example how we have these suburbs today. Sure. Suburbs to me, I don't like. I don't like suburbs. I think they do. They they separate people and they disrupt the system. And here's why I say that: all through centuries, cities. You had city and country. The cities, the people lived in the factories. All the work was done the tradesmen and all that. And in the country, you had the farmers. Every day, the farmers would load their carts and roll them into the cities, you know, and the people would go to the farmer's market and buy fresh food, right? Now, you got suburbs. All the country, surrounding country around the, uh, around the city is all suburbs now. I remember in Glastonbury, we had a lot of tobacco companies, tobacco farms around Glastonbury, and developers love farmland because they don't have to plow. I mean, excuse me, they don't have to tear the trees or anything like that. All they have to do is start pouring the foundations, you know. And all the tobacco fields were turned into subdivisions. Okay. You know, it's, yeah. you know, all the farmland, the rich farmland along the, along the valleys and everything mm. was all was, was suburbs. So now what do these people do? They have to get their food for 100, 200 miles, 300, 1,000 miles away. It has to be shipped in. And mind if I switch to another subject? Uh, sure, we can I got a, about that, yeah. I, I got a new thing I call a delocalization. In the modern world, I don't know about China, but in America, we've delocalized de everything. At one time, 50, 60 years ago, you had a lot of local factories. You had a lot of local farming. Your banks were local. You know, they, they, they made it where... We're, we're so dependent. Like, take gasoline, for example. If we get off of gasoline and localize our energy again, that's going to take a lot of pressure off a lot of people, I think, you know. And it also focuses the wealth on a small a handful of people that own the oil companies. And we've become dependent. And this is not an accident, in my opinion. It's not an accident. 
Because when the people become dependent, they have less power. You know what I mean? Less mm. say about their lives or anything else. America could go, couldn't have a revolution right now, I don't think, if we wanted to. All they have to do is cut our oil. Now, in the 70s, before you were burnt, born, they had the oil shortage. My poor brother told me one time he needed he, he saw a line of cars, and he, and, he, and he needed five gallons of gas. So he got in line with cars and waited two hours to get five gallons of gas. Mm. That is panic. And, you know, I never forget the feeling. I felt like a junkie looking for a fix. I really <laughs> did. Because without that gasoline, I couldn't go to work. I couldn't go anywhere. Everything was gasoline, and I lived in the country, you know? Yeah. It was a horrible feeling. Crazy. Now, what it is, is the globalists want this. They want us to delocalize, because look what they're doing in Venezuela. They don't like Venezuela for several reasons, and they're, they're squeezing them, you know, which they, I feel they have no right to do. These people have the right to determine themselves, you know, but the globalists don't like that. Mm. They don't like social democracy. You know, mm. they don't like a system that empowers the people. They don't like that. See, Venezuela, the people have some say to poor people. The way the political system is set up, they don't like that. They want to go to a system where the 1% totally controls the country. Mm. They've been trying to switch that thing over for, for 40 years now since Chavez came in there. Chavez got rid of all the foreigners so that Venezuela could have their resources for their country. God. You know, the oil goes to the poor. They use it for housing and to feed the poor. Before uh, Chavez, am I saying that right? Is this me? Am I, I saying think so. I think so. I, I'm bad with names and bowels and nouns. Yeah, I think but anyhow, uh, before he came in, 71% of the people lived in poverty, and there was mass starvation in Venezuela. After he was there several years, they, the, the poverty went way down to starving. The people weren't starving anymore. And he used the oil revenue, so it's plowed back into the country and the citizens. Because the oil belongs to the people. Even in this country, we have to get the oil companies have to get permission because the oil belongs to the people. And what it is, the 1% don't want that. They want that oil. And yeah. they don't like the system of government. They don't like social democracy, which is basically our constitution. Our constitution is basically a socialistic pact. The Constitution says the country serves the people. Uh, the right for, for liberty, the pursuit of happiness. What's the pursuit of happiness? Social security, unemployment, you know? The government serves the people. But, you know, if you if you look at Congress, you, you don't get that feeling, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I'll give back to the local uh, Yeah, let's get back, yeah, let's get back very to the local yeah, because this is the new thing I've been harping about lately is delocalization because we have no power in anything anymore. Our jobs are, are – I'll give you an example of what happened in Connecticut. I saw the effects almost right away. I was a young kid, just out of high school, and I was working – I got into the tool and die trade. And uh, I got a lucky – some guy hired me in West Hartford, uh, Ernie Rondo, a little shop, and he really helped me along. He got me started, and I did that for years. I was a tool and, uh, machinist, tool and die. Because of him, he gave me that opportunity. And uh, when I first got into trade, I remember I, I, I gave a notice and I left a job, but I didn't have anything lined up. So I went out and, and, and applied for work. I had three job offers. Now, I only had two years experience, which isn't much for tool and die. You don't really know something until you've been about 10 years. It takes a long time to learn that trade if you really get into it the right way. And I had three job offers. Now, what happened is in the 80s, Connecticut changed banking laws. Before all the money had to stay in the state, there was no out-of-state banks in Connecticut. Well, they passed the banking laws, and some politicians went to jail because there was a lot of corruption involved, but they didn't change the laws. 
almost overnight, everything changed. Now the big banks are coming in from New York and they're sucking the money out of Connecticut. It was much harder to get a job almost immediately. Within a couple of years, you could see the whole change of the economy. There weren't as many jobs because the money was being sucked out. And this is what's happening. We're having the money sucked out. Mm. You know, you got Walmarts, Amazon, big banks, and all this money. I was in a bank the other day, and this lady wanted $20,000. I guess she had $20,000 in her savings account. They said no. They said you have to wait a week or two weeks for approval if you want cash. They would give her a check, (laughs) but they wouldn't give her cash. I called up my bank, and they said the most I could pull out cash is $5,000. Wow. And I'm going to go on to another tangent here. I'm going to talk a little bit about the banks. Is that okay? Yeah, I think it's related. I mean, we... We'll still talk about like Barnes and Noble and Amazon tariffs. I really want to talk about tariffs and a trade war stuff okay, like I'll that. I'll make this quick. On my way to the bank the other day, a funny thing happened. I walked in through the doors and I saw something that I you, I you never saw 50 years ago. The banks have glass doors. 50 years ago, when you walked through a bank, the glass doors were covered with mortgage rates, uh, interest rate for. Uh, for savings account, they were proud. They splashed it all over the doors. Walk into a bank today in America, there's no interest rates listed anywhere on those doors. Yeah, that's true. I have a checking account, okay? And I have a savings account in a different bank. The checking account points pays 0.01%. Now, I'll get into that in a minute, what that means. But my savings account in the other bank is 0.05%. Now, let me explain to the public what that means. 100% is 1%. is one half, okay, or 0.5. Is is 5% of 100, which is five hundredths, or 0.05. Now, 5%, just 5 is 0.05 mathematically. Now, if you go to 0.5%, it's 0.005. But that's not what they're giving us. They're giving us 0.05. 0.5%, which comes out to 0. 0.0005, which is five ten thousandths, which means if you have $10,000 in the bank, you will get $5 in interest that year. 5%, you would get $500. If you had $5,000 in the bank, you would get $250 a year. Within 10 years, you double your money. I think you, you're the math guy. You, of course, with compounded interest, it might be even sooner. At 0.05%, it would take you probably a couple hundred years to double your money. Yeah. I have sat down and figured it, but at least 100 years, maybe more. Yeah. In other words, you're getting nothing for your interest, nothing. And on top of that, your charge cards are like, what, 29%? Yeah. They start at 15. You make you miss one payment, they whack you up to 29%. Really, yeah, credit cards are the worst. Dude. Now, one bank didn't do car loans. The other one did car loans, and here's what she told me. In the old days, when you went to get a car loan, you paid two rates. Used car was a certain rate, new car was another. They don't do that no more. They vary it from 1% to 15%, which means if you're a doctor making 150000 a year and you're going to buy a Mercedes for $60,000, they will give you 1% if you got good credit. But if you're on minimum wage or low wage and you're, and you're buying a used car, you're going to pay 15%. You see how the how the yeah, at the banks have become, right? and the they've rich, got all yeah. kind of laws now. Florida has a law now: if you don't touch your bank account for two years and can't get a hold of you, they take the money out and give it to the state, and the state holds the money. What? If you bring a lot of money to the bank, they want all kind of forms and papers to fill out. I guess that's because of the drug dealers. 
you know. In the old days, you bought money in a bank, you just put it in, that was it. You want to pull it out, you took it out. They're changing laws all the time, these banks. It's, it's, it's incredible. Mm. But anyhow, I just wanted people to be aware of that, yeah, how, how the banking has gone nuts. I mean, we don't, have, we don't have capitalism. We really don't. I mean, capitalism is the bank paid you 5%, they loaned it for 7 they kept 2%. 2% don't sound like much, but if you got $100 million, it comes out okay. Don't yeah. have that no more. We don't even – actually, in actuality, America is a bankrupt country. Hmm. We're bankrupt. We really are. We print money, and uh, the money's not backed up by gold anymore. As long as the world buys our money, we will progress. But when they stop you trading with the dollar, we're done. We're in big trouble because we deindustrialized. We need leadership. We need leadership to understand these problems. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know scary, when you don't produce scary. product, if you're huh? It is scary for I'm sure. Talking. Well, you know, here's the thing, Mike. When they started deindustrializing the nation, they told the American people, it's the modern economy. We yeah, got to have I mean, an information what, economy. Yeah, Manufacturing is obsolete. Yeah, that's what they I couldn't believe. And the I'm people not... believed it. They ate it up. And they had the experts on the TV, on the radio get on and say, yeah, we, well, manufacturing is obsolete. You know, we need a modern uh, information economy. <laughs> Any country that doesn't produce product is going to become insignificant. All world powers or all powerful nations produce product. You don't produce product. You're, right now, we're living off of, uh, the momentum of our financial district, which is a paper tiger, really. You know, just flipping money and these derivatives and all that crap, you know? Yeah. Excuse the language. But yeah. they're having trouble. China understands that. Yeah. China understands that. India, you know, everybody talking about Russia and China. What about India? India is going to be a pretty powerful nation. They're really getting into producing product, and they're, you know, they're going to be a. Yeah, we've, had, a them on the show. we've had a couple topics about India. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's talking about China, China, China. India is a, is climbing real quick because they understand the importance of producing product and having a, a, a society. I, I don't know what's happened to this country. There's there's absolutely no common sense about anything anymore. There really is, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We grow food nobody wants to buy. I read we lost a hundred billion dollars in export on just corn alone because nobody will buy our corn because you have this GMO corn that makes animals sick. Everybody's sick, you know. Oh no. So I mean, what we do, we put it in the gasoline. You know, hmm. Trump brought it up to 10%. They're going to put 10% uh, corn corn uh, alcohol. That's to subsidize the farmers, which is the right thing to do. But, you know, I would rather us grow healthy food and be able to ship it out and get a hundred, couple hundred billion well, I mean, dollars think, in export. We lost. Yeah, it's been a big problem. China stopped buying agri a lot of American agricultural with this trade war. And, well, uh, I heard even before the trade war, China had a shipment of corn. They found out it was GMO corn. They wouldn't take it. There was a starving country in Africa. I forget which one it was. We were going to ship them our corn. They wouldn't take it. Wow. They don't like that GMO corn. You see, <laughs> GMO food is not doesn't have the normal uh, chromosome count that normal nature food has. Nature. What they've done is they take the 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 the, the, the seed or whatever they whatever they, however they do it, and they put in a a mutated genes to change the genes so they can spray herbicide on the plant so it makes them resistant to herbicides. Okay. But it's not genetically correct. The chromosome count in all GMO food is infertile. If you take the seeds from GMO food, it will not grow. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's a mutated plant. It's not as hardy. It takes more water, more fertilizer. And they say in three generations, it might have, you might actually start having uh, fertility problems. Mm. People will start having trouble getting have women getting pregnant. Male sperm counts are way down in America. 
Oh, the, you know, men 100 years ago had much higher sperm counts than the men today. Because people were fatter, that probably has a lot to do with it. But you see, there's all kind of things going on. It's it's from all different directions, you know. Mm. And I'm going on tangents here, Mike. You want to yeah, go on something? Maybe, yeah, I mean, let's. Uh, I mean, we talked about Barnes and Noble closing down, Amazon kind of taking over a little bit already. But we talked more about Walmart. But like I know you mentioned on our previous call last week about you know Barnes and Noble. He has some friends that work there, and and they're feeling in the in the neighborhood or in the community. Well, one of the things that these companies are doing, these big companies, and it's real sad, you know, and it goes for most big companies, corporations, is that they hire part-time work and they and they give them lower wages, no benefits, they don't qualify for unemployment, they get nothing, except a low wage. But they won't even give them a schedule. You go there and say, well, I, I, I went to a parts place, you know, and they had a sign out front, you know, look, help wanted, you know, so I went in, I talked to the manager. And I says, look, I says, I, I, I'd like to work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because I'm retired, and a lot of people probably don't want to work the weekends. You know what he says to me? It ain't going to happen. I says, what do you mean? He says, we don't give, we don't schedule anybody. Everybody, the schedule changes every week. And I says, why? He says, because that's what everybody in retail does now. Now, I remember when I was a kid, you got a part-time job. You go in, you tell them, well, geez, I'd like to work Wednesday, Thursday, or you tell them your hours. Yeah, and they, I kind of remember, remember that. Now, yeah, I remember that. they won't even give you the decency of a schedule. What if you want to go to school? Now they say, well, people, some people got three part-time jobs. I don't know how you can do that because these part-time jobs, if you work for these corporations, will not they give you, will not work with your schedule. They won't do it. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know what the reason is. That yeah, I remember that me, I worked at the grocery store. I remember that, and they were working my schedule. Yeah, everybody did in the old days. You go get a part-time job now, especially with the big corporation. Now, maybe with a small businessman, you might give you a schedule. You probably, but some of them do it too. They, they just like you know, we do it. They do it. We're gonna do it. You know. Mm. But anyhow, I just wanted to make that point. I'm a little disappointed with that. You know. Mm. You know. Let's say you want to do volunteer work, or you have hobbies, or you want to have a couple of days off, and every week you got to call in. You don't know when you're going to work or if you're going to work. It's terrible what they do to people. Yeah. I don't know what it's like in China. Maybe they pass laws that employers can't do that. They'd rather have 40 part-timers than 20 full-timers. It's much cheaper to have a whole bunch of part-time people. You don't have to pay them any benefits. You don't have to pay them wages. Not sure how. You know? Yeah. Everybody's doing it now. All the big retail companies are doing that now. Everybody's part-time and flexible uh, and uh, no schedules. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, you were saying, I remember Barnes & Noble, like, I guess they're closing down all over the place in the U.S. now, the bookstores. Yeah, it's getting scary, you know. But, you know, Amazon might have a, there might be a repercussion for Amazon. It might bring back to small stores. Because when, when Barnes & Noble closes, then a small a lot of small bookstores are open. There's a bookstore that just opened. I knew the guy. He used to work at uh, Barnes & Noble. He's called, he's called Poetic Justice. And I go there and... <laughs> I buy a lot of my books from him because he's small and I want to give him my business. And he's, he's a good egg. He worked at Barnes & Noble for 10 years and they've laid him off. Oh, no. Oh, that place is a revolving door. They just laid off a manager. It's terrible. It's, it's not their fault. It's the way corporations think today. They have absolutely no loyalty to people. Mm. You know? Even uh, my brother, uh, what was it? Somebody was working somewhere. Oh, some lady. She was having all kinds of problems. She was working in a restaurant and, and they, they let her... They didn't fire any corporation, but have fired her in a heartbeat. You know, got it. It's, it's sad. So yeah, sad, so these you know? guys are. But anyhow, you want to yeah, talk about trade well, deals, right? We're talking yeah, about I love tariffs. I think tariffs something we talk about yeah, a lot here. 
I want the folks to understand that I'm not an expert on all these subjects, but I'm an, and I, I am an opinionated person, and I've been I'm 68 years old, so I've been around a little bit, and uh, so I'm expressing my opinion as a as a as a as a U.S. citizen with a right to free speech, as long as we got it. But getting on to trade deals, I think the tariffs are very important for America. Don is trying to bring them back, and every and, and you know the globalists, they don't want tariffs, you know. They want to be able to build a factory in Timbuktu and pay people three bucks a day and bring back the product and make huge profits, you know. So they're going to fight tariffs. And they've got this thing, well, it's going to cost us all this money to have. If we don't, if we have tariffs, we're going to pay more money for everything and everything. That might be true at first. But, you know, the amount of jobs we bring back, you have people have to understand. We, we, we I think what's the figure? 60,000 factories. You know what that is when you lose a factory? People, you know, first of all, the factory pays taxes to the town. It pays taxes to the state and to the government. The people working in a factory pay taxes to the town, the state, and the government. Yeah. The suppliers that supply the factory pay taxes to the town. And also, skill. Factories have tool and die makers, designers, engineers, Machinists, welders, production workers, all of that's gone. Yeah. All those talents and all those skills are gone. You know what's happening to America right now? We're falling behind right now. Do you mm. know uh, we don't build the best cars in the world anymore? You know, we don't. Uh, uh, Boeing is behind. Boeing fell behind Airbus and they tried to hurry up to catch up with them. And in the meanwhile, they cut quality control and now the things are dangerous. It's going to be out of us in a couple of years. I hope not. Uh, what else? The electronics industry, you know, all, all the electronics is made in China, you know, and there's a lot of skill that goes involved in it. all the tool and die makers. And, and well, of course, the engineers are over here designing, I guess, maybe not anymore. But when you where you make product is where you're going to develop a lot of innovation. All the tool and die makers are in China now. They're not in America. There's some here in America, but not like there is in China right now. Yes. Yeah, and. True. and, and you know, we're falling behind electronics. How was it? Huawei? Huawei? Is that Hua what it's called? Huawei, They're ahead of us yeah. on yeah, what? Huawei. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't blame China. They're doing the right thing. They're taking care of China. We have people in this country that work against our country. It's unbelievable. Who deindustrializes? What country would deindustrialize? It's insanity. I don't know who's well, running would, this country. Right? Yeah, they would try to say uh, it's like white-collar jobs and creative jobs and educated jobs. And I remember this stuff but, when I was there. But they don't produce products. They don't roll up their sleeves and, 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 and get on a lathe and make a part. They don't I, build I, a tractor. I heard, they don't... The, I heard GDP does include <laughs> I mean, services, though. I, I've heard they put services into the into the... Into the econ, econ, you know, all these different metrics of export, they count exports, U.S. services as export. I've heard, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember you said you, so you support, you know, you think tariffs are good, right? I mean, these tariffs that, well, that are happening. Well, I don't know if they're good or bad. Oh, tariffs. See, here's the situation, how I see it, in my opinion. American people have a higher standard of living. At least we did. And we still believe we do, unless you have a college degree and making a hundred. I want to throw in something. The foreigners know more about what's going on in this country. I think the Americans, I have one foreigner tell me from Poland. She says, uh, America is a great place to live if you have a good job. And another one told me the trouble about America is insurance companies. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get it. That's another whole subject. That's, uh, but get back to tariffs. Scary, yeah. <laughs> our, yeah. Our founding fathers knew we had to have tariffs. 
they started tariffs because they knew we wouldn't have an industrial base. They didn't like factories either because they fit factories would make two classes of people, the workers and the owners. And they didn't like that the wealth being concentrated in one person. They wanted everybody to be a shopkeeper, small shopkeeper. But getting back to the subject, you have to have tariffs in America to have your industrial base. We cannot have an industrial base without tariffs. We can't unless we give up our standard of living. You know, mm. Americans want to have a house. They want to buy new cars. They want to go on vacation. That costs money. And to do that, you have to pay higher wages. To, so to, in order to protect your industrial base, you have tariffs. And that way there, if somebody tries to go overseas and, 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 and shut a factory down and move it to Timbuktu and bring back their product, they're not going to gain anything because they're going to get hit at the door. Yeah. You have to protect your jobs. Now, people say, well, we've got to compete against the world. You don't see doctors competing against doctors in Taiwan. You don't see lawyers or state people working for the state competing against the world. But they expect our manufacturing to compete with the world. It's baloney. Mm. You know, if we want to be a world power, we have to have our industrial well, base. If we don't have that. It's going to catch up with us sooner or some later. Of those right doctors, now, we're riding off the momentum of our wealth. What was that again? Some of those doctors are competing against people overseas. I mean, a lot of those, a lot of that work can be outsourced. You know, online. Like we're talking about engineering and CAD design. I mean, that that was being outsourced. I mean, yeah, that's true. You can have somebody in in China, an Indian, design a tool and just put it on the internet and ship it to the company, and they don't even have to have a design department anymore. They could just job it out to yeah. The, that's that, true. With the that computer, a lot, a lot of things can happen. That's a good point. So yeah, I never thought of that. So that that's yeah. harder to control, and I, you know, um, I, I don't really know. I mean, uh, so I, I've talked a lot, uh, you know, to different all different sides of this, but you know, for many years, a lot of our listeners and even me, I mean, I, I make, you know, I make a living selling products I buy in China and sell in America. I mean. It's just kind of the way it's been for the last 10, 15, 20 years, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of business mm -hmm. owners that are. Well, everything's made in China, Mike. I mean, I, I don't care what you do. You go in any store in America and pick it up and look at everything. And I mean, everything is made in China now. It's yeah. incredible. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. So I guess what's going to happen, for, especially Christmas, they're, you know, I, I don't know, it's 10 percent, 25 percent or whatever is coming up. You know, these tariffs are hitting. But, uh, you know, who's it, who's going to pay for that? That's the question. Who pays for the tariffs? Is it the consumer? Is it the importer? Like you know, the is it you know the is it a factory? That's a good point to make. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's what that's a lot of people have been asking. Who who put? I I don't know. A lot of people think it's at least in an, at least for Christmas, it's going to be just a more expensive Christmas. I think for consumers in the U.S. Well, Mike, you have to understand in my opinion, of course, that uh, Don is trying to protect our industries. Uh, you got to remember, the American companies are fighting buying uh, American steel right now. Now somebody said the American steel companies are taking advantage of the tariffs or jacking up the prices. Well, then that should be stopped. But anyhow, uh, the thing is, in my opinion, if we don't do something pretty soon, steel will not be made in America. Aluminum will not be made in America. We have to be careful. We have to protect these industrials. We have to bring back more industry. We have to. Otherwise, we're not going to be a, uh, a significant nation. We're not we're going to become insignificant because you look at any country that's a world power, they make product. You don't make product, you're not going to be a powerful nation. You can sit there with all these financiers and these people flipping dollars and all that. It doesn't make product. You know, true, they, make, they, they, have, they own, own the purse strings in China, but it's still – your nation loses something. You, you don't have tool and die makers anymore. You don't have uh, 
uh, factories. And I, when I first went into the machining trade, all the machines in the shop were made in America. Shipley Lodge lades, Monarch lades, Brat Whitney machines, Bridgeport. It was all the Kearney Tucker, all these milling machines. Everything was made in America. The grinding machines, the Norton grinding machines, and they had a Herrick, and they had all these different companies. It was all American made. You know? Yeah. Now you go into a machine shop, and everything's made in, in China. All the machines are made in China now. It's scary. It really it's is true. scary. You know, Mike? Yeah, it is. I mean, that's... You know, I like I kind of hinted a little bit. I mean, I you know, I'm not, I'm technically in Thailand now, but I left about a year ago as a recording, and I spent ten years in China. And I was kind of like, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, I wasn't. It's not like I was happy to to do it, but I saw everybody manufacturing here. I felt like I I was really having trouble trying to make my own products for my e-commerce business. I was selling eBay, and you know, I just I just feel like uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit hard. I mean, I. I've seen other business owners saying it's just going to be a hard, a hard, you know, you can talk about Don and the tariffs and it's just going to be a transition. I think it's going to be really hard. Like you said, it can't just turn on a switch and create these factories again. You know, there's infrastructure, there's machines, there's, there's, I mean, it can be done. It can be done. It might not happen overnight, but you got to look at the war economy, how quickly we adjusted to that factories that were making cars switched over to, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, Mike. It's not going to be easy. No, I'm not saying that, but it can be done. It has to be done. If that or we're going to become an insignificant nation, in my mm. opinion. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong, you know, because I don't want to see America fall, you know. I yeah. really don't. I'm a little disappointed in their policies, their, their foreign policies right now. Yeah. We're bombing nations. It's yeah, got the me war very machine. upset, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess the that's how countries that... make money, right? Countries are businesses, and businesses make money by... You know, actually, like uh, you know, expanding or or getting more, not getting more rights to more resources, cheaper. I, that I and also the, the the war itself makes a lot of money for people. Yeah. War is the the first one. War is the one percent's best friend. It makes them rich because they make money selling, and it also they can take away your democracy during a war and your free speech and everything else. Yeah, it's their best friend. You know, it's their best friend. So, I mean, that's my opinion. You know. Yeah, so but, uh, there's always going to be problems, Mike. But we got to try to have a. I'm very disappointed with America, really, with the way we're set up right now. I don't know if you want to switch over to politics. You want to take yeah, that another I mean, I time? Think maybe you know, next, I was very maybe another heavy time. In politics. I mean, yeah, because yeah, I got not... all kinds of theories about politics and economy. I know I'm a, a college grad, high school graduate, but you know, you hear these people with with with, with all these big degrees telling you that uh, lies. You know, lies. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know who to believe, who the experts are. The experts will sing any song that one percent wants them to sing. You know. Yeah. And if they don't sing that song, then they probably won't be a professor in a university. You know. Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. So, I guess I'm. Yeah, I think we should get toward. We'll start to wrap up for today. Just uh, mm-hmm. it's about. Thanks time. for having me on. It's been great. It's been I know great. everybody's not going to agree. With, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. Go ahead. No, I mean, uh, yeah, Good I much. guess it's true. Some people we want to have different perspectives. I think, mm-hmm. I think some of the listeners are, um, you know, I think uh, entrepreneurs, business owners that are, you know, kind of like not a, I'm not big fans of tax and uh, tariffs, and they feel more open, um, you know, and stuck in the middle is what some people have said because you know we're at, 
as a business owner, you kind of just, you know, unless you're some big 1%, you don't really have any influence. It's not like you can lobby the government or whatever to do what you need. So we're just kind of stuck in the middle trying to adjust to this and not even sure how much our price of the product that we're selling on Amazon or we're selling on to Walmart or whatever should be because, you know, this, the last few months have been really stressful with the Don's tweets and, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the tariffs and attacks and the policies and, and then there's mm. this... A lot of a lot of a lot of big changes, you know. That I don't know if you read the news yet, but Hong Kong airport was shut down today from protests. Oh yeah, they're really mad at the Chinese right now, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's getting scary, and uh, um, so we're we're all just figuring out what to do. But it's also coming down, especially right now. People got to be putting in orders for Christmas, you know. You know, the, yeah. the elves are yeah. in China, really, and you know how much do you gamble because the these, elves are in China. That's a good one. Yeah, it's true. That's about it, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the North Pole, and you, it takes a few months. You know how manufacturing you got to put in a production order, and then do you put that production order when you you don't know what your your cost of goods, you know, imported landed cost will be, you know. So it's just a really mm. scary time for a lot of listeners that are, you know, because it's a gamble. It, business is a risk, and you know, it obviously. But the risks have been increasing a lot lately, so I don't know what you you would uh, you know what your final thoughts are on the whole you know tariffs, trade wars, and you know Amazon. Well, and... you know these people screaming against China right now. China is a threat. China, they're the ones that invested all the money over there. They're the ones that moved all the jobs out of America and put them in China. China is only doing what's good for China. See, China is not like America. China works in for the good of China. We don't do that here. We work for the good of the corporations and the 1%. The America, America and the people don't matter. It's the 1%, the people on the stock market and the people with the money. That's who this country services. It's not the general welfare of the nation. It's not the world people. But China, not that I want to live in a communist country. I don't. Because China has a, is very, there's no free speech over there and they yeah. control the internet. It's not it a free is. nation. But then again, if you have more freedom, maybe the damn rich will take over anyhow. But I'm not saying I, I – it's just that they at least work in favor of China, what's good for China. We don't do that here. One of the big problems in America is going to be affordable housing. Hmm. You know, all these – it'll get the Democrats right now. They're concerned about the border people. They're more concerned about the border people than our own poor. They're yeah. basically throwing the poor people of America under the bus right now. By letting all these people into the country, it keeps the wages down. And worst of all, it t takes up all the affordable housing, what's little left. Yeah. And I don't understand the Democrats. I guess they figure they can change demographics and get uh, more people to vote Democrat or something. They're going to throw the country under the bus. That's one of the things our founding fathers did not like were political parties. Yeah, I remember they said it was dangerous. The parties would put yeah, themselves above always, the nation, the people. They, yeah, they always said warned against that. I remember reading that, that the founding fathers warned against political parties, if I remember right. Yeah, it is. And uh, they're going to be in for a big surprise with their liberal, with their policies on immigration. That's a very powerful policy. Jimmy Carter lost an election over that, I think. When mm -hmm. he had Miami there, if you look at the demographics of Jimmy Carter, his first election, he was a Southerner from, from uh, Georgia. He yeah. won most of the South. Do you know the second election, he lost most of the South? 
Mm. That Miami immigration thing really hurt him. I, I think he hurt the Democratic Party in the South. The, Demo- the Southerners don't trust the Democratic Party. Mm. I think the blacks are going to vote for Don because the Democrats are throwing them under the bus right now. Yeah. You know, they're bringing in all these immigrants when there's no jobs. Yeah, I guess that's the, they're, you know. By keeping the wages down, they're taking up all the affordable housing. They're basically throwing these people under the bus. Yeah. And you know why they're doing it? Because they're a minority. They're 40, we have 340 million people in this country. 40 million are poor. Now, the group that they, that they uh, fear the most is the educated group. Remember when Obama used to talk? He always talked about education. Education, education, your life. You got to go to college. And I'll tell you what happened to me. We, we should be closing this up. I could yeah, go for yeah, hours. We, yeah, I think we can wrap up. <laughs> I'll make this. one more step. I was a kid working in these machine shops. You know what I had happening to me? What are you doing working in a place like this? You should go to college like my kids are. You don't want to work in a place like this. Go to school and get a good job. And everybody was singing that song, you know? Yeah. So lady yeah. sitting in front of a working all day on a drooper so her, so her daughter could go to college. And that's not a makeup. That's the truth. She told me she had that job so she could put her kid through college, sit in front of a drill press all day, drilling parts. Yeah, I remember meeting them, some of those people. At the machine shop. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's almost sad, though, in a way, because America was kind of built on immigrants, right? I mean, you know, I'm, you know, Mike, this is the whole thing, Mike. This is the whole thing. I'm not against immigration. That's just it. We do have immigration policies, but we can't let hundreds of thousands go crossing the border. It's costing us billions of dollars to keep and camp them. It's costing us billions of dollars to put them in front of judges with lawyers that we pay for. It's costing us all this money. Yeah, I guess you know? it's the illegal immigrant and, uh, problem, not the immigrant and what problem. what the Democrats want to do, they want to make it so it's not against the law to cross the border. They'll say, well, that's not open borders. Of course that's open borders. You're saying it's not against the law to cross over. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I'm a progressive. I really am. But they're forcing me to vote Democrat, Republican with their policies. These, now, Elizabeth Warren made a big thing about gun control. I was, I'm scared of her now. I'm just mm. going to take my right to own guns away from you pretty soon. Yeah. You know? Yes. And then this thing about abortion, any issue on life, the Democrats are always for death, no matter what the issue is. Okay. I can go into that, but I'm talking too yeah, much. Yeah, I think we, should, we, guess, up, we can get into politics <laughs> next time. We're more into, I, we had yeah. a really good conversation about the business stuff and the histories and uh yeah, it was great. It I didn't really talk good. about ideas, though, about business. I have ideas what to do for economies. Okay. We can talk about that a little bit, yeah, too. Yeah, we can get you on the show next time i appreciate you letting okay. me talk i hope some people i don't expect everybody out there to agree with me but maybe i've sparked yeah, no, a few I thoughts like, out there i always stimulate my you know my thinking and i think some listeners got some other perspectives too you know there's it's a it's an online show so people all around the world can listen to this and get some insights so wow um, the world holy god <laughs> yeah i mean it's online so anybody can really stream it oh. or download it and uh but I mean, I think my summary, and you know, I think I'll talk about it after the recording. You know, I'll do a little summary. But it's just like you said, it's the middle class, it's the hardworking blue collar middle class that just wants to earn, you know, make an honest living, and that's kind of getting that's kind of getting gutted right now in America, right? There's uh, that's well, I think, you know, the when I ran problem. for office, Mike, the thing people were concerned about three basic things: a good paying job, a decent pension, and medical coverage. That's the three things people worry about the most. Yeah, you know. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Gary. Okay. Oh, Mike, thanks for having me on your show. Sure. 
Hope you still plan to come to the cross-border summit, our fourth annual, first time in Guangzhou, China, during the whole trade show season, October 22nd and 23rd of 2019. We have 20-plus amazing speakers that are flying in from all different parts of the world, as well as inside China, to bring together top sellers, business owners in cross-border e-commerce and Amazon FBA for two full days. It's been amazing. My wife, Wendy, has been helping, which is amazing very much needed and we have a great great response so far so you might not want to fly into the Hong Kong airport <laughs> but there are other airports into China such as Guangzhou and Shenzhen hopefully Hong Kong airport opens up again by the time this show goes live especially for the cross-border summit hope to see you there it'll be really amazing and it's also a way to support the show crossbordersummit.com slash China Okay, so episode 267, Uncle Gary, Gary Garneau. He's always been the opinionated person in the family, and I hope you enjoyed this show. He was really honored to be on the show, but I think he deserves it. He's, he's run for office. He's really taken a lot of shots at, uh, at what most people in life wouldn't even try to do. And I, I remember that being a kid. I remember I was in eighth grade, and he was – at the abortion clinics and he was running for different offices and he um he's not afraid to say how he feels and i just like i said i i remember these arguments in my family on thanksgiving and christmas dinners and all this stuff about politics and policies and tax policies and immigration and abortion and all these things and I, I remember, I don't know if it was, the, I think it was in the 80s or maybe the 90s. I remember being in my grandfather's house, Nana and Papa, I call them. And uh, we had, you know, the family over, the uncles, my dad, my mom, sister, everybody. And there would be arguments about NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, I think it, it means. Basically, it's like when goods come in and out of like Canada, US and Mexico for free and then all these policies that were happening. And I, I remember the, uh, the really passionate anger, um, you know, while I was passing the gravy for the stuffing and the turkey of, uh, of you know, the gutting of American jobs, blue-collar factory workers. You know, I think most of my family, you know, hasn't, doesn't have a college education or maybe had a two-year degree uh, you know, I think a lot of, like like Gary said, most uh, most people, maybe it was my generation that got the uh, college degrees, but before that, most people didn't go to college, even in the U.S. I know it's also not as common in other parts of the world. And I just remember these arguments. And I remember I worked at a machine shop, like I mentioned in the interview. And uh, in high school, I was doing CAD design. I was doing quality control. It was a lathing and milling machine shop for a subcontractor for Pratt and Whitney making airplane engine parts. Uh, I was even the driver sometimes. I did it for maybe a year or two. And I just remember talking to the people working there, like, "Yeah, we're gonna get, we're gonna get our fire, we're gonna get fired. This thing's gonna get shut down." There was a factory upstairs that did like clothing that got that got sent to Mexico. Like Gary said, I didn't even know that till this interview, actually. But I, I just, I just remember the uh, all these jobs going away, and then I also remember, you know, the news or whatever, just saying, "Oh, it's we're getting rid of the low quality jobs, and we're gonna have like 
higher quality jobs, office jobs. We're going to have, you know, intelligent working jobs, owning the brands. And we don't need these jobs. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to feel about this because, you know, as you, well, Gary definitely feels that you need to make a, make a product in your country. If you're not making a product, you're going to be at a big disadvantage later. Um, there's a comic book, comic picture i remember from 10 20 years ago of all these um different care cartoon characters drawn it's like one of those newspaper cartoons in black and white and it has you know germans like engineering and it has like the french cooking and it has like the chinese manufacturing and it has all these different people from different parts of the world and then in the middle is like a, a fat american that's eating everything or or receiving and consuming everything and it says like america's job is to eat and consume um and that is that that has to be a problem uh i think gdp maybe includes services you know finances but even wall street you know my old job i worked on wall street i worked at deutsche bank if you read the news there they're they're firing or laying off most everybody in the u.s it seems i don't really have many friends still working on wall street anymore i could reach out to them but I know a lot of even in Hong Kong, other parts of the world, finance is getting gutted. So I don't know where all these jobs are going to go. I mean, maybe we'll get this universal income that uh, that they've been talking about. But it is uh, it is dangerous. I think if you don't make stuff, I think if you just buy and import and consume stuff, it sounds like a big problem. But I just remember the awkward fight sometimes between. You know, it's like my dad, my uncles, my grandfather, mostly it was the males arguing about politics and policies and taxes and immigration and yeah, all this stuff. And, um, but it, I haven't been back to the U.S. almost two years. I, I saw Uncle Gary and others out, was down in Florida, but I just am not sure what's the, uh, what's the right answer. But uh, even as of recording this, you know, of course, I can't record this right when the show goes live on Tuesday. So I have to record this a few days ahead. You know, Donald Trump just re- kind of backtracked, it seemed. Maybe we call, called his bluff. He's re- not, and he's delaying the tariffs or there's certain tariffs. It's really, really confusing how much, what, what products are going to be taxed at what rates and when, but I think he just announced he's pushing it back until mid December instead of September 1st, because I think it's going to be American consumers are going to pay for those tariffs. You know, it's not like you can just switch off China. I mean, Frederick from China import all, I appreciate him listening to the show. I believe he listens regularly. Thanks Frederick. You know, I think, you know, you can't just get rid of Chinese manufacturing. You can't, you just find a factory in Southeast Asia or, you know, your hometown of America and go down the street. That'd be pretty convenient, right? If you could just walk down the road and order from a factory and then bring your pickup truck and pick up the goods and put them in your garage and sell them online, that would be pretty, pretty awesome. But I don't think something like that is possible to happen so fast. And you know, uh, I just, some of the arguments back to my family was just really horrible. And then um, hearing about it, you know, for even days after in my my family circle, but I don't want to open the, open the kimono too much to my family life. But it did, of course, give me my impression that I guess everybody's childhood affects your, 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 uh, 
you're thinking. And, you know, as a, I consider myself, of course I'm college educated, but I, I, most of my friends in my, my hometown is, is a quote unquote normal blue collar kind of workers. And I don't really know what they're doing. I mean, I follow their Facebooks a little bit and we're going to see what it does. But like Gary says, it's not going to happen right away, especially these Hong Kong protests, you know, it's really going to over time change people's thought process of where to manufacture their products and um, where to position their company. So thank you so much for listening. I, uh, I hope these are intriguing and, you know, I'm trying, trying something different, you know, bringing my own uncle on the show. Never thought I would do that. I hope my family, the rest of my family doesn't get upset about that, but he's got great opinions, great perspectives. And especially if you're like a Chinese person listening or somebody in Asia, you know, of course a lot, our team is amazing. I have amazing team in the Philippines. You can call it outsourcing, but I call it my team. You know, I, I call it human beings, you know, people, India, China, America, Philippines, you know, we're all humans. And I think it's not going to go away until we have a bigger common enemy, you know, like until we're Mars versus earth and it's earthlings. And then it won't be like, Oh, we're outsourcing all of our jobs to, to Mars. You know, what's earthlings going to do? Martians are taking our jobs. Martians are taking our taxes. Suddenly China and um, America will just be States in a country of, earth i think that's the big problem is the 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 war of who's going to be the king country you know i think a country by definition wants to just like a business wants to grow and push their influence push their laws get more people to grow their population and you know it's of course becoming really two big superpowers is america or united states of america not america you know just north and south america but united states and and uh China, PRC, People's Republic of China. I don't know. I don't want to get into political things about what is PRC, but anyways, these two are getting stronger and they want to they wanna maybe push their policies and get more resources. That's what businesses do. That's what governments do. And uh, that's just the way it's going to be, right? So thank you so much for choosing to tune in to listen. Um, if you like this show, you know, reviews. I do try to check our reviews. We don't get many reviews on iTunes, but if you like that, hit hit the review button there. Give us some feedback. Or, uh, you know, I know a lot of you send me an email or let me know you're enjoying the shows. Phil Suslow, thanks for that. Also, we're working on a book, fourth book for uh, for me, uh, the e-commerce gladiator book. Of course, we had the series, and I know like Alex and Paycock enjoyed it. Misses the show, but we're gonna make a book out of it. It's, it's the final chapter. I think was with the acquisition uh, that we had announced a couple weeks ago. So um, I love writing. Honestly, I love documenting, and uh, the book will be coming out soon too. So thank you again for choosing to listen here. And feedback is always appreciated. What kind of content y'all like, and y'all come back now. You hear? Take care. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.